It's really great to be with you all and joining you all. Uh, it's just a shame I can't see everybody. Uh, I can just see my own face going back at me at the moment, which is a little bit odd. Uh, but it is great to have this opportunity to share with you, and it was great to have Gary invite me to do this. I know he's been wanting me to come and speak on a few occasions, but it's not been able to to happen. So um, I'm able to do that today, and I've saved uh, probably three hours in the car at least uh, by doing it this way. Uh, but it's really good to be with you, and um, today we are um, thinking about Pentecost. And as Gary said, um, I am somebody who in many circles is considered a little bit odd because I, I fervently believe that God is going to bring a renewal, revival to the church. And I continue to pray and earnestly seek uh, for that move of God in, in this nation particularly, but I think it will be bigger than this nation. And um, you know, I, I, I just follow what God is doing in that. And uh, I keep hearing his voice encouraging me to pursue um, this renewal, this revival that he's going to bring. And today's Pentecost, and we think about today the, the birth of the church, is the birthday of the church, um, just thinking about um, this sudden release of power that uh, just transformed the non-world at the time as, as those disciples went out. And I believe, um, um, just to encourage us, that we are living in difficult times, things are hard, there's lots of things going on that um, raise lots of questions, but I do believe that God is using this time, and will use this time, to bring a harvest and there's lots of things that have been challenged within our culture. Uh, one of the things is that we have been very, very individualistic, uh, very, very individualistic culture. Truth has been relative. You know, I have my truth, you have yours. Uh, you know, let's just um, uh, trundle along together with our different truths. But suddenly the world has been taken uh, aback, really, by a universal, and that is this virus. And um, you can't make this virus a relative truth. It's it's true for everybody. And we've been faced also with the prospect of our own mortalities. Again, something that people can't escape. But our culture and our society has spent so much time trying to disguise and distract us from uh, these kind of universal truths. And I think people are a little bit more uh, vulnerable, open to thinking about the bigger questions of life at this time. So there is a tremendous opportunity. And as we move into the new normal, whatever that might be, I think that the harvest field is, is as white as it ever has been. And I think now is the time for the church to really advance and for us to do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. The church was born uh, 2,000 years ago through uh, this wonderful account that we read of in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit came. And the church is reborn, if you like. It is revived, made alive again, made into the true bride it's called to be, as we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's some of that that I want us to really look at uh, this morning together, is to remember what happened on that first Pentecost day, but also to um, pray for, to surrender to, to move towards what God wants to do through his church, through the power of his Holy Spirit today. I'm going to do that firstly by looking very briefly at this passage in Acts 2. I'm going to read a few passages as we, as we go along. We're going to dance around a little bit. We're going to go back into Ezekiel in a little while and look at this river flowing out of the temple. We're going to have a look as well at uh, what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit at the Feast of Tabernacles in John 7. But we're going to just begin, I think, by looking together at this passage in Acts 2. One of the things I'm very aware of in the church is that we, we've become quite discouraged in many, in many circles within the life of the church. The uh, church has been in decline for some time. 
And it's easy to, to uh, kind of be fatalistic and to withdraw, uh, draw the uh, drawbridge and to retreat and to think that, that maybe, you know, maybe this is, this is how things are going to play out. But I believe that, that God is wonderfully wanting to revive the church. And we read here in this first uh, few chapters of Acts about how the disciples uh, are processing and reacting to Jesus' death and resurrection. And Jesus has spoken to them earlier on in Acts 1. And when Jesus has ascended to heaven, he's no longer there with them, present with them, and the Holy Spirit hasn't yet come. The first thing that they do is what every church does, I think, is they form a committee. And uh, they form a committee, and uh, uh, the product of this committee is that uh, um, one more disciple is added to their number, and they, they have a nomination process. They have a, um, um, a kind of process of, of choosing. They cast lots. And this is what the church uh, kind, of, um, kind of comes to, really, when they are not um, in the flow of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's done by committee, and one person is added to their number. Now, if we compare that with what happens after Pentecost, we can see the, the sheer uh, dramatic change that happens to this little group of disciples. Eleven, they add one to their number. There would have been others, I know. But, but once this Pentecost day has happened, the tongues of flame and the wind and all that happens in the upper room, and they're full of the Holy Spirit, Peter goes out and he addresses the crowd who accuse them of being drunk, and he quotes this wonderful uh, prophecy from Joel. And he explains to them something of what's been happening, who Jesus is, that he had to die, that he had to rise from the dead. And, and as it goes on, it says at the end of that, that passage that 3,000 were added to their number that day. And obviously the church then it goes into this incredible um, moment of expansive growth. And we really struggle to comprehend just how incredible that growth was. Uh, this uh, faith in Jesus crossed cultures, it crossed language boundaries, it went everywhere. It went as far as India and beyond, and into North Africa and into uh, most of Europe within the first couple of centuries. It was explosive, the rate at which this good news travelled across the world. And it is because the Holy Spirit was flowing through the bride, through the church. People were surrendered to the flow of the Spirit. They were allowing the Holy Spirit to transform them, to change them, to empower them to be the people, the church that they were called to be. They moved from a committee which made one member to a movement which changed the world. And it, the decisive moment really is that they were empowered with the Holy Spirit. Now in our world today, there are many boundaries, borders, there are things that are uh, difficult. We're in a a postmodern society, our culture has changed so much. There are language difficulties and all kinds of different things about how we explain the gospel. But all those can be overcome in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables the church to be um, um, understood, to show the love, the grace, the power of the gospel. And so all these borders and boundaries um, are overcome as we surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit. And that was certainly the experience of the early church. Once they were filled with the Spirit, no border, no boundary, no ideology, no language boundary. It, it was all overcome, and the church grew massively. And I think it's just wonderful to be encouraged by when the Holy Spirit is flowing through the church, 
how powerful and how potent we can be. And I think we need to be encouraged um, in that as we celebrate and remember uh, Pentecost. Um, I want to just, do, um, just focus on a few other things. And really, to, um, I'm going to go right back, if I may, to um, this passage in Ezekiel. And I'm just going to spend a few minutes just looking at this passage. I'm going to read it to us so that um, we, we're kind of all aware of where we are. But it's uh, Ezekiel 47. And there's this wonderful passage um, uh, of the river flowing from the temple. Now, I'm going to try, hopefully, with a reasonable amount of, uh, of uh, sense to explain a few things this morning around the spirit and around um, this idea of, of being in the flow of the spirit. But if there's one thing that I want us to take away this morning and be encouraged by and challenged by, it's really from this passage in Ezekiel. And I'll, I'll uh, return to this as I, as I finish this morning. This is passage in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 47. I'm going to read from verses 1 to verse 12. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me round the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from uh, the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He led me through water that was knee deep. Sorry, ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, uh, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen uh, and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Ar Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh and swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where, where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to En Eglam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the, the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They'll be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both sides of the banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food, and their leaves for healing. Now, that's quite a, a long passage, but, and there's also quite a lot that we could, we could uh, draw from that passage. And, and again, a time doesn't really allow us to really explore much of that in any depth. But there's one thing that really struck me as I was praying and thinking about what to share this morning. And that is the idea of this being led out into the river. And the angel who's showing um, in this vision uh, Ezekiel and leading him and measuring out these things. Uh, he asks him to come out into the river, into the flow of the river. And this river, is, as we see and as the passage goes on, 
is the flow of God's presence. It's the flow of God's life. It's the flow of the Holy Spirit out into the world. And where the Spirit is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit is, there is life. There is healing. There is these fruits. There is provision. There is all these incredible things that, that are on the banks of the river as the, as the river feeds them and as the river, uh, the presence of God is there. And Ezekiel is asked to go out into this river. And he's asked to walk quite a long way. In fact, it's nearly one and a half miles by modern measurements, or 2.4 kilometres, 2.3 kilometres. So he walks quite a long way. He journeys out into this flow, into this river. And the angel keeps beckoning him on to go deeper. Don't be, don't stay where you are. Don't stay in the ankle deep bit. Come a bit further into this flow. And so Ezekiel does, he journeys out a little bit further and as he goes out another thousand cubits he notices it's now up to his knees and then it's up to his waist and then he gets to a stage in the river where he recognises to go any further he has to swim. The water was deep enough to swim and he realises this is a river that no one could cross. And if he wants to journey any further he has to pick his feet up from the bottom of the river. Now, if any of you have been out swimming in a river or swimming in the sea, there is that moment of commitment that comes when you have gone out as far as you can with the security of touching the bottom. And if you have uh, memories of learning to swim, you'll know that you, uh, the shallow end was the safe place to be because you had your feet on the bottom. You could touch the bottom. You were safe. You could carry your own weight. And nothing really bad was going to happen to you as long as you stayed there. But here we have this, this uh, um, angel leading Ezekiel out to that crucial moment when he realises that to go any further, I'll have to swim. I'll have to pick my feet up from the floor. And that, that, that safety net, that, safe, that feeling of being safe is, is lost as I surrender completely to the flow of this river, to the flow of God's presence out into the world, to the flow of the Holy Spirit. And I think as we respond to this opportunity for harvest in the world, as we respond to all that God is, is doing in the midst of this situation and the opportunities that are coming and are here now, we need to be a church that is prepared to let go of that safety net. Who is people who are prepared to move and push deeper and deeper into the flow of who God is, his presence and his spirit that we reach that point where we fully surrender ourselves, we pick our feet up from the floor, we commit to whatever God is doing, and we allow him to direct us, the flow of his power, the flow of his presence, to move us, to take us where he needs us, us to be. And I think in the church we, we very quickly, and as individuals, we very quickly retreat back to the bank. We quickly want to find that safe place again. We go back to our committees and our strategies and everything else, as those disciples did in Acts. We make decisions in a very um, rational way and uh, process it in the way that we feel that it all needs to be. But I believe in this time, God is calling us to surrender to his Holy Spirit, to surrender to him in a way that makes us true disciples, as Jesus repeatedly says throughout this, the, the Gospels. Take up your cross and follow me. Give up your life in this world so that you might take up the new life that I have for you. 
I think God is calling the church, he's calling us as individuals to surrender. If there's one word that is been, has been key to my ministry for many years, it's this word surrender. And I believe that as we surrender to the flow of the Holy Spirit, as we pick our feet up from the bottom, as we let go of all those things that we trust in, all those things that uh, allow us to kind of have a, a bit of a grip on what's, take, uh, what's going on, as we let go completely to the flow of what God wants to do in our lives and in the church, we let go of the safety net of our usual way of doing things and we just allow the spirit to lead and we genuinely surrender to that flow. I believe it's at that moment that we move into the, into the Pentecost, into the, the post-Pentecost life of the church that the early disciples enjoyed, where we will see the growth that we're longing for, where we will see the expanse of the church press over and beyond the boundaries that we see in front of us, the obstacles that we see. This postmodern generation that doesn't get it, that doesn't understand. We will see the power push through. We will see the Holy Spirit anoint us and enable us to be the people that we're called to be for this time, for this season to bring in the harvest. But it requires that moment of surrender. It requires that moment of vulnerability. That moment of stepping into the flow of the Holy Spirit as those disciples did on that first Pentecost. There is a revival coming and we are called to be the vehicle, the mechanism, the body by which Jesus does that through the, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. So I think we need to be encouraged by that and challenged by that. What is it that we are holding on to? Not only as individuals, but as a church. What is it that is our safety rail? What is our bank that we keep retreating to? What is the safe place that we hide in? Where is God calling us to be? What is God calling us to be? What does the flow of the Holy Spirit mean for us? What is it he's calling us to say, do and be that is in that surrendered place to the flow of his Holy Spirit? We need to be there. We need to be rooted. Well, that's the wrong word, isn't it? We need to be surrendered to the flow of his Holy Spirit if we're going to see the renewal and re the revival that I think is right at our doorstep at this time. There is a, a generation out there that has been shaken, literally, by what has happened. And there are, there's an opportunity, there's a vulnerability that we as a church need to take hold of. Send out the workers, send out the workers, was Jesus' prayer. And we are those workers and we need to be out there, surrendered to the flow of the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to just jump back uh, uh, and I'm going to just wind up in a, in a, in a few moments, but... But that really is the key thing I want us to share, to share with you this morning and, and to challenge you and to encourage you with, uh, is that this is an opportunity that we need to be surrendered to the flow of the Holy Spirit. We need to be surrendered disciples. I'm going to jump back really quickly just to have a little look at John 7 um, before we kind of just, um, I'll draw things to a close now, I'll, I'll just pray for us. But Jesus um, at another festival, there, there are three main festivals. There is the festival that celebrates the, uh, the, the, the barley harvest, which is Passover, where Jesus died on the cross and was risen to life. We have the wheat festival, which is Pentecost, essentially, where there is a celebration that Moses received the law and, uh, and the law was written on our hearts, as Jeremiah 31 says, as, as the Holy Spirit came and there's that uh, festival. But there's also this third festival, the festival of tabernacles, and it's at this festival, which celebrates the, in, uh, the bringing in of the fruit and the final harvest, that Jesus again talks about the Holy Spirit. 
and uh, it talks about the, the flow of living waters. And again, this links wonderfully to this passage in Ezekiel 47. But let me just read this. This is uh, John 7, uh, verse 37. And I'll just, just share a few thoughts around this. Um, so I'm, I'm aware that uh, um, I've not gone too long. But, but there's this wonderful passage. Here it is, uh, John 7, 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, that's the festival of tabernacles, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, there's a lot, again, there's so much um, in my head fizzing away that I could share around this. And, and I'm going to try as best I can just to limit it to a, just a, a few, just a few main features from it. But, but Jesus is teaching really about the Holy Spirit and he's linking it to this festival of tabernacles. Now, Pentecost traditionally is linked to that festival of Pentecost and the giving of the law and the writing of the law by the Holy Spirit on our hearts. And there's a wonderful, um, wonderful truth in all of that that we could explore. But there's this moment as well where he uses another festival, the festival of tabernacles, to talk about the nature and the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, as many of you will be aware, the Feast of Tabernacles was this time in the Jewish calendar when they had a huge party. In fact, some of the uh, rabbis who are writing about that time a bit later than Jesus, they say it got to be a little bit uh, too much of a party. There was a bit of uh, drunken revelry was happening around this Feast of Tabernacles. But it was a real moment of celebration. It was to celebrate not only the bringing in of the harvest, but to celebrate God's provision for them as they were journeying in, in the, on the exodus towards the promised land that God provided for them in many ways. That they were vulnerable, they were only housed in these tents and these booths, but that God provided for them and God was leading them. And during this festival, there's a few key things that happen. And I'm sure many of you are aware of these, but they speak wonderfully to the, to the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as Jesus links the flow of the Holy Spirit out of those who will believe in him, He's linking it to this festival and to many of the prophetic things that this festival kind of announces, really, and, and promises as the Jews enacted uh, out this festival each year. Now, there's three main things. I'm limited to three main things around this Feast of Tabernacles. The first is the one that Jesus makes reference to. And this is this water, the flow of the water. Now, at the Feast of Tabernacles, the priests would go down to the pool of Siloam and they would take water. They would then carry it back up to the Temple Mount and they would pour it against the side of the altar. And this water would flow out of that, uh, that area of the Temple and would flow out and beyond the Temple area and the people would see the flow of the water coming out of the Temple and into the city. There was this water flowing out. And this was to, um, done um, each, each time, each uh, um, festival of tabernacles, symbolising the, the flow of the Holy Spirit out of the temple and into the world. And, and it was often linked to um, the, um, this hope that the Holy Spirit would fly into the nations and linked to this passage that, that Peter um, uses in, in that uh, Acts 2 passage from Joel 2, that the Spirit would come upon all people, all nations, would know the presence of God. And the Feast of Tabernacles 
kind of was a prophetic kind of uh, an enactment or a hope for or a remembering the promise of that as this water was poured out and this living water, the Holy Spirit flowed out of the temple and into this, into the world. And Jesus is saying that those who believe in me will be the people from whom this living water flows out into the world. Jesus is saying that those who believe in me will be the source, they will be the healing presence of God erupts from and flows out into the world. In the same way as it flows out of the temple, it will flow out into the world. So we are we are the, the living temples, as Paul reminds us in Corinthians and in Second Corinthians. We are these the, we are temples from which the water, the living presence of God, the flow of the Holy Spirit, flows out into the world. And if we restrict that, if we hinder that, then we hinder what Christ has called us to be and to do. We hinder the activity of God in His world. We hinder the the way in which the flow of that life, that healing, goes out into the world. We are the source of that flow, and we must not hinder it. We must surrender to that flow of living water out of us. The other thing that happened in, at the Feast of Tabernacles was that there was many, many lights that were lit. They were lit, lit on 75 feet tall poles, uh, like columns, and there was huge bowls of oil were placed on top of these columns that were lit. And uh, during the whole feast, um, if you looked up to the temple during the night, you could see the whole temple just illuminated wonderfully on top of the hill there in Jerusalem. And it must have been an amazing sight to see the whole temple just illuminated with these huge lamps that were lit in, in a court of women on the outskirt, on the outer area of the temple. And during the day, these, these big oil burning uh, lamps would produce smoke as well. And this was to remind the Jews of the, the uh, Shekinah glory, the presence of God amongst them, that God tabernacled with them, that he was present with them. And as the journey through Exodus unfolded, that he was with them as a, a cloud of, uh, um, during the day and as a pillar of fire during the night, that God's presence was, was evident amongst them. It was obvious to all that God was residing amongst them. And again, as Jesus reminds us of the Holy Spirit during this festival, it is also and reminding us that we are, as Jesus says in other parts uh, of the Gospels, that we are the light of the world. And it says, in as much as we um, um, are, again, the temple of the living God, as much as we have the Holy Spirit within us, lighting up our lives with the presence of God, that we shine brightly to the city, we shine brightly to those around us, that God is with us, that there is this kind of evidence, this wonderful, uh, undeniable presence within us, that people look at us and say there's something different about you. There is a light about you. There is just something that I can't put my finger on that you've got that I haven't. And it is the presence of God within us. It is that wonderful way in which God tabernacles with us, within us. And this uh, festival, um, um, this light and this, this smoke during the day, Jesus is sort of saying that as you have the Holy Spirit within us, as you remember this festival, as you have the living water flowing out from, from you, you too are called to be light. You are called to be those who, um, who evidently have God with you and amongst you. And again, that is because the Holy Spirit flows through us. Now, thirdly and finally, um, I'm just going to just touch on the fact that there is this, this uh, wonderful abundance at the, at the Feast of Tabernacles. And again, Jesus is teaching about the Holy Spirit very briefly here, but, but it links wonderfully to all these things that are going on in this feast. 
there is this amazing amount of fruit that they would have, would, would have had, and they would have started perhaps to drink the new wine that they would have made from that harvest that year. It wouldn't have been fermented very much. It would have been in the early stages of, of, of fermentation, and, 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 but they, they would have drunk from the, from the new wine. And they would have had all the fruit around them, all the provision of that year would have been around them, and it would have been a great moment of celebration. But there is this kind of moment there where there is this new wine, and it's a new season. It's, it's, it's kind of they're, they're, they're moving into the rainy season when the rain comes. And the rain is the promise of next year's harvest and, 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 and God's provision for the time to come. So as they're celebrating, they are also uh, enjoying the new wine. They're enjoying the fruit. And I believe the Holy Spirit is calling us as well. And, and we are... Um, we are wonderfully enabled to enjoy the provision that God has given each of us in the Holy Spirit. He has equipped us. He has enabled us um, to be the people that he has called us to be. We can enjoy the new wine, the new season, the new thing that he's doing because he has given us all the fruit that we need, all the provision that we need in the Holy Spirit. We have the fruit of the Spirit. We have the gifts of the Spirit. And um, we can just celebrate and and just live in God's provision to us. He has provided all that we need to be the church that we are called to be. There is nothing that we lack. There is nothing that we lack to be a church who moves into revival, a church that moves into victory, a church that sees the harvest of souls come in, that we long for. There is nothing that we lack in as much as we have the Holy Spirit. We have all the fruit we need. We have all the gifts that we need. We have all the provision that we need. We are in the season of new wine. We have everything we need in the Holy Spirit to be the church that we are called to be for this season. I'm going to wind up there, I think. I think I've probably said enough, and I hope you've managed to follow something of what I've been trying to share this morning. But let's just go back to this picture in Ezekiel as I finish it really does rest upon our capacity to be a surrendered people. God provides the Holy Spirit. God has given the Holy Spirit within each of us as we follow Jesus. He's given us all the capability, all the things that we need. We are to be the light in the world, the presence of God in the world. We are to be this healing, wonderful presence in the world as, as that living water flows in us and through us. We've been given everything that we need, everything that we require to be the church that we're called to be. But we need to be surrendered to that flow. We can hinder it. We can squash it down to a little trickle. We can squash it with our committees and everything else that we do in church life. You know, and we need to do things in certain ways, I know, but we can squash it down. And I believe at this moment, this time, this Pentecost, we are called to be a church who surrenders to the flow of the Holy Spirit, both in our churches and in our own lives. And as I pray, I'm going to ask us all really to, to ask the Holy Spirit to show us how we can surrender, to, to break our hearts for him again, to lose into a place of just surrendered love for him and, and what it means for us to be abandoned to him. Because that's where the church needs to be at this time. I'm going to finish with this, and I am going to finish now, genuinely. Um, but uh, there's this uh, 
I'm also reminded it's also Pentecost, but it, there's a, another anniversary that is, is this year and about this time, and that is the um, Liverpool Conference, the Methodist Liverpool Conference that happened in 1820. And I've always been struck by the prayer that they finished that conference with. And I'm going to finish uh, my, my sharing as well, but just by sharing this, this prayer with you, because we are too at a, a decisive moment. And um, as they were at a decisive moment in the history of the Methodist Church, we are too, and in the church generally. But they, they prayed this. This is a great way. I wish all meetings finished the prayer like this. But they said, and being, sensib- and, deeply, and being deeply sensible that in order to the revival and extension of the work of God, the great thing to be desired is an abundant effusion of the Holy Spirit on ourselves and our families our societies and our congregations. We solemnly agree to seek that blessing by humble and earnest prayer in our private supplications, in our family devotions and in the pulpit. And we desire to continue with one accord in prayer and supplication until the spirit be poured upon us from on high and the wilderness become a fruit, uh, becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field be counted for a forest. Well, my prayer is that we will see that fruitful field become a forest for us as a church. And uh, I'm going to pray for us now, and uh, I'm going to hand over back to Gary. But let's just pray together as we, as we finish. Uh, Lord Jesus, we just want to thank you this morning together as a church that you... You gave the gift of your Holy Spirit to each of us. And that, Lord, because of your work, your saving work on the cross, because you took our death and gave us your life, because you made a way for us to be restored and reconnected to the living God, our creator God, our Father, our heavenly Father in heaven. Because you made that way, Lord, we are, we are restored into that wonderful relationship. We have God's presence within us by the Holy Spirit. We are alive in you, alive in him, because we have the Holy Spirit within us. And the Holy Spirit, we thank you, Holy Spirit, how wonderfully you reveal God's love to us. How wonderfully you, you embrace us with that wonderful presence. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you uh, equip us and you energize us and you Make us into the people that we are called to be. You shape and transform. You flesh out our repentance, Lord, as you sanctify us, as you make us holy. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence in our lives this morning. But, Lord, as we gather this morning and as we pray at this Pentecost, we pray for the revival of your church. We pray, Lord, that we would stand up bold boldly to be the people that you have called us to be we pray this morning holy spirit that you would give us a heart that is surrendered to you shape our hearts transform our hearts to be those that that are wonderfully surrendered that we step into the flow of you holy spirit within us and through us that we give up on the things that we hold on to the things that we treasure the things that make us feel safe lord that we might move into a place where we are the the people that we're called to be, the surrendered people we're called to be. Lord, may we not miss this opportunity. May we rise up and be the people that you have called us to be at this time 
in this harvest field for this generation that we might see the lost one for you. That we might see that your healing break out into this land and restore many lives to bring glory to your name. Holy Spirit, come in your power again, we pray, that we might be the bride prepared for your coming. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.